Do you ever wonder what this whole genome genomics thing is all about? Are scientists using gene editing to create the next Jurassic Park? And what is this whole CRISPR thing I keep hearing about? We'll answer all of this and more on our second episode of Things That Make You Go, Huh? Things That Make You Go, Huh? So today we're going to be talking about CRISPR, um, which is without an E. Um, I thought it was some type of crispy uh, fried type of food, but actually it is something more scientific. So I brought in my colleague today um, from AbbVie. His name is Chris Miller. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself very briefly? Sure. Yeah. So hi, uh, this, I'm Chris Miller. From, I work here at AbbVie in the Genomics Research Center. Uh, we do a number of things related to using uh, genetics and genomics to help drive drug discovery and drug development. And one of the tools we use a lot in the lab is uh, CRISPR, which we're going to talk a lot more about in uh, the rest of the podcast. The reason I kind of thought about this in the first place, it's kind of a funny story, but uh, a friend of mine recently asked me if I could take them to the post office. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll take it to the post office. Well, then she proceeds to pull out a test, little test tube, and then she spits in it, right? So I'm like, what is going on here? And then she sticks it in an envelope and mails it. And so she told me she was mailing it in to do some type of DNA analysis. And so I guess it brought me to the thing of how can how could spitting in a cup tell my friend anything about possible health risks? So perhaps maybe you can shed, shed some light on, on that topic before we kind of get into uh, the main one. Sure, yeah. So uh, what your friend was doing was uh, spitting into a tube so that it could be then sent to a company uh, there are a small number of companies that do this, actually a, a, a fair number of companies, but several that are actually um, credible and experts and do a really good job at this. And what they do is they will take that saliva sample that uh, you spit into a tube and extract DNA from it and then um, analyze what are called uh, variants or SNP, single nucleotide polymorphisms and, and sequence variants across the DNA and try to make some inferences about some health risks and ancestry uh, information, and um, and they can get that just from a little wad of spit, basically. A little bit. Of, it's a couple of mils, a small amount of a couple of teaspoons, maybe, of uh, saliva that's in the tube, and they can extract DNA that's either in the saliva or comes from the cells on the inside of your cheek, um, and you can extract DNA from it, and that's enough to do the types of analysis uh, that they do. Okay, so let's start off small here. I figure we'll start off small before we get big. I was horrible in biology in high school, so can you just, for the layman, tell me, for me and for the lay people out there, what DNA is? Sure. Uh, DNA is a uh, substance that's inside every cell in our body. It's in the nucleus of uh, every cell in the body. Is the and nucleus the center of a cell? The nucleus is the, the center, the, um, the nucleus, the, the okay. center of the cell. Okay. Um, and that's where all the genetic information is, or the vast majority of the genetic information is. And uh, DNA is um, made up of four different chemical molecules that are strung together into what are called chromosomes. And uh, every cell in your body, again with a few exceptions, has uh, 23 pairs of these chromosomes. And um, they basically, you can think about them as books. Um, and if the, uh, the, the entire genome that represents all of your DNA is a volume of many books, each chromosome is a single book, and they can be different lengths. But within those books are uh, the letters of, the, of, the, of DNA, 
Um, so in the same way that there's words and sentences that are in a book, there are um, sequences of those letters that are strung together that you could consider to be words and letters. And so, so everybody has their own story? Everybody has their own story, although in terms of the similarity across people, more than 99% of my book is the same as your book, is the same as everybody's book in, in this room. And it's are the books, if we're using a book as a metaphor, is that like more similar within my own family? It will be more similar within your, your family and those people that you're most uh, directly related to. Um, but, um, but the books and the words, they're made up of just four letters. So, you know, in a normal alphabet, uh, normal alphabet uh, in, in, a, in the English language, we've got 26 letters. But um, in the language of DNA, there's only four letters. Uh, and they're referred to as A, G, C, and T, or adenine, guanine, thymine, and cytosine. And it's the exact sequence of those over and over again um, in endless permutations that make up the sequence of, of the DNA. Um, and within each cell in your body, again, you've got uh, uh, 23 pairs of chromosomes. Uh, you have roughly 3 billion of those A's, G's, C's, and T's. Um, and if you actually string them all together, the amount of DNA that's in each, of each cell of your body, it's about two meters long. And it's all packed into the nucleus of each cell in your body. And you've got more than 30 trillion cells in your body. And it's all packed in there in a very structured way. It's not just randomly jammed into this tiny space. And it's got very important consequences about how this all works. And it's actually really fascinating in the way that uh, it translates into uh, biology and disease. Both the sequences, the way that those A's, G's, C's, and T's are strung together, um, and then the way it's all packed together. Are the, this is going to sound like an odd question. Are those created upon conception, or do they grow as you grow? Do you know what I mean? It's the same DNA at uh, well, at conception, when egg and sperm combine to create the uh, 23 pairs of, of chromosomes, but it's the same DNA uh, with a few exceptions, uh, but throughout life. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to get into the exceptions of yeah, it, but things yeah. like uh, sperm and egg, they don't have 23 pairs, they just have 23 single chromosomes, and there's a few other cases where it's not that, but by and large it is. Oh, that's, that's cool. Um, what about RNA? What's RNA? So RNA is uh, chemically very similar to, to DNA. DNA actually stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. Uh, RNA is actually ribonucleic acid, so it's just a diff different chemical structure, uh, but it, it, it's got a lot of similarities to it. It's largely based on the same AGCT concept, although in RNA the Ts are something called uracil. They're slightly different chemically. But again, they're all strung together. Um, in a way that means something, and that the exact way they're strung together, um, they tend to be, you know, they, they encode for what are called proteins. So there's this thing called the, the central dogma of molecular biology, and this has been around for many, many years, decades, uh, back into the early part of the last century. But the basic idea uh, is that you have DNA, which has these A's, G's, T's, and C's strung together, and there's actually two strands of this that go in opposite direction, and they're, they're connected together like a ladder. And one strand determines what the other strand is. They're mirror images of each other in some ways. Um, and so what happens, so DNA is uh, this deoxyribonucleic acid, this double-stranded um, helix, helical structure. RNA represents one copy of that, and there's ways that inside the nucleus the, that it's copied into this one copy of it. And then RNA actually gets what's called translated into protein. Uh, 
And protein is what you see. It's the structure and the function of the body. So when you look at your, your hand, what you see largely is, and skin is keratin. It's a type of protein. But there's many other proteins that are part of the body that are the structural pieces of cells, the, the inner workings, the machinery, enzymes, the way that cells work is all about protein. So there's this, this central dogma that goes from DNA to RNA to protein. And there's, again, a few exceptions to that, and as we learn more and more about it, it gets more complicated than that. But that's the basic idea. The information in the genes, made into RNA, made into protein. I, okay, I'm a little lost with the RNA, but I understand the DNA part. It, think of Do it just as the intermediary. It's, okay. uh, like so is a, RNA created when DNA is created? Are they cr created in conjunction with one another? No. Well, uh, no. The, uh, the DNA is created uh, when cells divide. The, um, you know, the, the DNA that's in your cells gets copied and then split and then you know, goes into new cells. Um, so that's how DNA is made. It, copies of itself are made and then put back into the nucleus of, of new cells. But the RNA is a, a molecule that's made by a different set of enzymes and proteins that give you this messenger intermediate. So it's similar chemically to the DNA, but it's got a different function. And that is to t give the instructions to how you make proteins. Oh, okay. Okay, I think that makes a little bit more sense. So let's move on to what is a gene? Can you help me with that one? Sure, yeah. So, um, you can think about a gene either in uh, conceptual or actual molecular and, and real terms. But the conceptual is it's uh, the basic unit of heredity. And so that, um, you know, you think about uh, hair color, eye color, height, um, uh, you know, any number of attributes that we have, those are encoded by and controlled by genes. And if you look at your parents, there's a high likelihood that some attributes of yourself you can see in, in your parents. But, but, it, it, but it, it does determine, um, it's the basic unit of heredity, and it determines the things that are the physical things that we can see, and many of the things we, we can't see as well, so the traits that we have as, as people. So, so like what, like you said, you kind of mentioned before, like eye color, eye color hair, hair color? color, height, uh, male pattern baldness, um, you know, uh, any number of things that uh, are that we can see when we look at you know, the number of fingers we have, the number of legs, and, and although in, in those cases, it's not like a single gene that says we're going to get five fingers. <laughs> it's many genes that work together to um, program and say that we are actually, that's what we're going to, that's how many fingers we're going to have. But, but that's kind of like the conceptual level, the basic unit of heredity. Um, but at the molecular level, the genes are regions of the DNA that we just talked about uh, you know, a few minutes ago. And it's regions that contain the basic sequences that are going to get made into RNA that get, then get translated into protein. And all the stuff that's part of the, the, the genome region around that gene that regulates when it's going to be turned on, when it's going to be turned off. Um, I don't know if you've already answered this, but what is the genome? The genome, it really just refers to the, the full complement of all the genes that, that we have, uh, that any, any cell or organism has. I mean, so we speak about the human genome, mm -hmm. and that's, uh, again, about 3 billion of these A's, G's, T's, and C's. It's the 20 to 25,000 genes we have, and all the rest of the genome, that, uh, the genome, the DNA, that makes it all work. Um, and so, you know, again, as far as the human genome is concerned, uh, only about 1% of it is the stuff that gets translated, made into mRNAs, and then into protein. 
and only about mRNAs into mRNAs and then into proteins. Um, oh, sorry. Yes. Um, and then about 25% of it is the stuff that regulates that that 1%. So in truth, about 75% of the genome is um, we either don't know what it does or we know that it has no function. And so most of the uh, genome is is not this stuff that is is uh, responsible for the making of, G of new mRNAs and new proteins. It has other functions, um, whether it's structural or regulatory or things that we don't yet understand. You, you keep saying mnras? Messenger RNA. Messenger RNA. mRNA. Yeah, sorry. It's, uh, the M is just means messenger, okay. and so we talk about DNA, we talk about RNA, but usually what we're talking about with RNA is mRNAs or messenger RNAs. So going back to the beginning of um, our discussion, how does my friend sending in her spit um, give her any type of information on her risk of disease? So that, that's a great question. Um, so there, there are, in some cases, there's actually a really good uh, and strong uh, case to be made where that is, in fact, possible, to be able to predict risk of disease. In many cases, though, there's not a strong case. So it's a very hard thing to do to make this really strong connection between a genetic mutation um, and, and disease or disease risk. And, you know, we're just at the beginning of this whole revolution in terms of how genomics and genetics um, influences what we do here in drug discovery and drug development. And then moving forward, how it influences clinical practice. At a certain point, every baby that gets born is going to be uh, genotyped or sequenced. And at a certain point, in the not-too-distant future, every time anybody goes sees a doctor, uh, your genotype, will, your sample will be taken, uh, your genotype, your entire sequence will be uh, available to a doctor, and with the appropriate counseling and information, you'll make health decisions on it, which won't be just guessing in the dark, but they'll actually be based on real science. Okay, I think you've given me a lot to think about and also a pretty good base for the basics here. Um, let's talk about gene editing. So you're, you're talking about um, all of these traits and qualities of genes. Um, can you actually do something to the genes? Can you edit them in some way to somehow mitigate your risk of acquiring a disease? Does that make sense? Uh, it, it does make sense. Um, short answer is today, no. Uh, at some point in the future, perhaps. Um, so, uh, you know, the science around gene editing has actually exploded just in the past uh, few years. There were some basic techniques for trying to make, and gene editing really is just referring to making changes in the genome. Editing, you know, you think about editing a, a manuscript or a, a paper, you go in and you change things, um, hopefully make them better. Genome editing, genome engineering or, or gene editing, it's all the same thing, is basically being able to try to make some of those, some changes in the genome. And so, uh, again, there's been methods around for decades to try to do this, but they haven't been very efficient. Uh, they've been very labor-intensive or expensive. And, uh, but it's, a lot has changed just over the past four or five years. Um, the technology that's referred to as CRISPR is um, the thing that's really changed that so uh, significantly. CRISPR is gene editing? Okay. CRISPR is gene editing. Uh, CRISPR stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. Uh, it's quite a mouthful. That's that ten times fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's why they call it, you know, they shortened it to CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R. It's a system that we can use to make these changes um, in the DNA. It's a, a system that evolved in bacteria as a way of, it's actually a bacterial immune system as a way of... Uh, uh, building immunity against viruses that were um, infecting bacteria. 
but we can basically we understand the basic machinery to do this, and now we can use this in mammalian cells to uh, make specific changes in in DNA. Um, we do this a lot in our research group for uh, what's called target ID and target validation, and we make models, um, disease models, uh, using CRISPR if we want to make specific changes. Um, but basically, it's just a, a small set of proteins. Um, one in particular, it's called Cas9, CRISPR-associated protein 9, a whole family of them. But uh, it, it's an enzyme that can cut DNA. And when it cuts DNA, two things can happen. In some cases, the cut will just um, reheal, if you will. But what happens is a couple of the nucleotides or bases, the A's, G's, C's, and T's, get nibbled off the end. And what you end up with is a very small deletion, or in some cases, an insertion. They call them indels, insertion, deletion, but a very small change right where the cut happened. In other cases, if you can provide another piece of DNA in the right way, that other piece of DNA can get inserted into the cut. And so rather than just healing over, it, it heals, but now it's got something that's inserted in, in the place of it. So let's just take a step back here because this is extremely confusing for me. Yeah. So CRISPR, is it like a technology? CRISPR is a technology okay. that lets us make these cuts. Okay. And it has something to do with an enzyme? You're, the enzyme is making the cut? Is yep. that, the enzyme I... is the protein, this Cas9 protein that okay. actually makes the cut. And that's, okay. that's what it does, and that's what it did in bacteria as a way of trying to cut DNA that was the, uh, when viruses in, infected. Um, uh, but it's the enzyme that makes the cut itself. And you're, uh, you're either just making a clean cut or you're inserting something into it. Basically, yes. Okay. Um, and, it, and, and if you're sorry, if you're trying to just make a cut, you can do it in a way that um, inactivates whatever you've cut. It's this molecular scissors concept where you're just cutting it, and what you've done is you've you're inactivated. Stopping you're stopping it and, and interrupting it so that it, it no longer functions like it, it did before it was cut. And then when you insert, are you reactivating it? Or no? Well, you can. You can. Um, or you can just uh, insert something that now represents a, a mutation, a small uh, change that uh, oh, you're specifically okay. trying to, um, to so make. You're, you're, okay, so I'm just trying to see if I understand this. So you're cutting it to deactivate it. Right, yeah. but you can also can you put it back together once you've cut it? You can, but in general, it's we don't try to fix the things that we've we've cut. We will be asking a different question. Where in some cases we don't want to just cut and inactivate. In some cases, we want to make make a single a single change and study the consequences of that. So. Um, yeah, so it's not so much that we want to repair what we've done. It's more it's just, a different question that we're we're using. Okay, we're, so we're you asking. can so you cut it to see what happens next. So you yep. obviously put a thought a lot of thought into why you're cutting a particular correct gene. Yeah, you're cutting. Yeah, although okay. I'm I'm uh, uh, mostly yes, but but not always. In some cases, what what we do is we actually have libraries of these CRISPR molecules, these Cas9 uh, molecules, and actually. The, the machinery that helps us do this, but libraries that cover all human genes. And we can set it up so that we do what are called screening experiments to say what genes, when we knock them out, when we inactivate them, give a certain response in, in a cell-based system or an animal model. So if we've got a cancer cell line that we have in, in growing in a, in a petri dish or an animal model or something like that, we can infect in on mass this whole library of uh, these CRISPR molecules, and in various ways that we have at our, at our disposal in the lab, identify what genes are the vulnerable points 
that can, let's say, stop, if we inactivate them, can stop that cancer cell growing oh, or okay. change its response to, to a drug. Um, so we don't have to a priori know this is the gene we want to inactivate. We want to identify the gene that, when it's inactivated, gives us the response that, that we're looking for. And so let's talk about the, I'm calling it mutating one, when you put something in. Yep. What are you looking for when you're doing that? that? In that case, it's much more of a targeted question where we do need to know ahead of time what it is, what's the question, what's the gene, and even what's the mutation that we're, we're trying to make. And so one of the things that's a, uh, a, a growing use case for us is that we are doing putting a lot of effort, um, mainly with outside partners, but a growing amount internally, on sequencing people which ha who have different types of diseases, and we, are, we want to understand what are the mutations in those people that make them more uh, likely to develop Alzheimer's or multiple sclerosis or Crohn's disease or a disease called axial spa, for, for example. That's pretty uh, cool. I mean, it sounds, sorry to interrupt no, you, okay. it sounds like a very powerful tool. Well, right? so the, the sequencing, correctly, the, the, yeah, well, so absolutely. So, I mean, there, there's several powerful tools here. So I'm just, this may sound controversial, but so can you manipulate, it's almost like you can manipulate genes in, in essence, right? So yeah. we were joking, um, uh, outside of the podcast about can you like create Jurassic, another Jurassic Park or something? Do you know what I mean? Can you well, create today, a dinosaur? No. Kind today, of no. Um, uh, certain people believe it can be done. And, uh, you know, I, I think many, many years, if not decades from, from that being done. But dinosaurs is another, you know, we're talking millions of years to go <laughs> yeah. back. They're tens of millions yes. of years. And the likelihood that we'll be able to recover intact DNA from dinosaur bones. There's not like dinosaur spit hanging around? Uh, no, uh, not that we know of. But, uh, I mean, just the complexity of doing it, too. How, how would you do it uh, to make dinosaurs or, um, you know, the, the Jurassic Park was, what did they put them into? Was it frogs or some kind of reptiles and little pieces at a time? And, yeah. And, of course, we know, we know how that turned out. <laughs> um, it's still turning out. There's still sequels coming out. So. Yeah, that's true. Um, so what, what would you say makes this technology so revolutionary? Or why are people so crazy for CRISPR? Well, so the key thing is it just um, enabled us to do what we had always wanted to do before uh, in a much more efficient way. And like I said, there were technologies before CRISPR that uh, we could do these, that we could make changes, we could inactivate genes, but uh, again, very expensive, very slow, and just not amenable to um, the types of things that we can do now. I mean, the genome-wide uh, screening that I, w I was mentioning earlier, um, you know, there were some earlier technologies that moved in that direction, but CRISPR made it possible in a way that just wasn't um, previously possible. So, Chris, kind of coming to the end here, I, I'm just wondering if you imagine what CRISPR can do in, let's say, the next five to ten years, where do you think this technology can take us, and and what is your hope for what it can accomplish? It's come so far in such a short period of time, and the trajectory we're on is actually quite remarkable. I've never seen a technology evolve this rapidly uh, and with this widespread uh, use and improvements and so on. So in the research arena, uh, I see continued evolution of new things that we can do with CRISPR. Initially, it was just about trying to inactivate genes and maybe make some of these mutations that I was talking about earlier. But there's some uh, really fascinating and, and interesting new variations on the theme that are changing the... It's not just about cutting DNA, but about changing DNA and answering some questions that we just wouldn't have been able to um, answer before. So I see some revolutionary things coming in the research uh, arena for, for CRISPR. And on the therapeutic side, 
Um, I think we're kind of at a tipping point where there's a number of companies that have some ongoing clinical trials that in the next uh, year or two are going to either work or not work. And I, I hope they're going to be successful. Um, they're largely focused on genetic diseases and some limited delivery to places like the eye. Um, and if those are successful, I think the floodgates open for new applications, new diseases, um, new delivery methods, and I think the sky's the limit. So I, I think we're at a tipping point for um, therapeutics, and I think the next year to two are going to be really exciting. Okay, so thank you so much, Chris, for your time today. I really appreciate it. And um, this stuff is really hard for me to absorb, but you actually um, explained it in a way that I think I kind of basically understand it. So thank you for that. Um, you achieved miracles today, Chris. So, um, And since it's the end of the podcast, um, I do have to put my money where my mouth is and um, try to describe some of the things that I learned today. So I'm going to um, do my best here to... <laughs> summarize kind of some of the stuff that you talked about today. So um, I guess the first thing is that that I, can, that I think that I got from today is that DNA is some type of genetic material that basically makes us who we are. Does that sound okay? Yep, so far so good. Um, RNA um, is kind of the intermediary, I guess, between the DNA and the proteins. Yep, two for two. Mm. Um, Okay, so with a technology called CRISPR, we can either delete a section of a gene or add some type of mutation to that gene. Yep. Uh, um, CRISPR is extremely revolutionary because, um, let's see, it can allow us to really, it can allow us to see how changing genes one way or another can basically change the course of a disease. Yep, that's true. Oh my goodness, four out of four here. Um, and last but not least, there's no need to worry about Jurassic Park, at least in the near future. For now. For now, right? So I can sleep better at night. Thank you so much again for coming today and uh, look forward to seeing us next time on Things That Make You Go, huh? Things That Make You Go.